All right, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Well, I promise you an abbreviated sermon, so don't get too nervous. Uh, But I look forward to uh, being able to open up God's Word with you and to focus on a familiar text of Scripture, but to think about its relevance for our lives and the relevance for uh, those on our planet. Again, this is a special Christmas service. I knew it was going to be special because... uh, We're meeting on Christmas Eve, the day that anticipates uh, the birth of our Savior. Uh, This morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 1, I would, if if you are physically able to do so, I invite you to stand with me as I read this passage of Scripture. If you could stand, I'll read Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to be reading out loud verses 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that as we briefly reflect upon this text and the birth narrative of Jesus Christ, I pray that we'd be struck once again with its importance and with the splendid miracle this is, that God would become man, to rescue us from our sins. We thank you for this, Lord. Pray that your spirit would use this challenge in our lives to point us to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. As we come to this passage of Scripture, I think we come to one of the most familiar passages, one of the most read passages in all of the Bible. Uh, The same probably could not be said for the verses just before this. If you've got an English Bible in front of you and you're looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, you have a long portion of Scripture that is not read by many Christmas trees uh, throughout our land. But you come to uh, a very important passage where Matthew begins to, um, to give to us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, look at Matthew 1 and verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. As the first book in the New Testament, the gospel of Matthew here in this verse repeats a phrase that is often found in the first book of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. 
The phrase that drew my attention this week in study is the book of the genealogy. That phrase is found 10 times in the book of Genesis in this form. And in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in the Greek translation of that book, you find the book of the generation of the heavens and the earth. The book of the generation of Adam and Noah and Noah's sons, Ishmael as well, and Isaac, and the book of the generation of Jacob. That phrase is so important to Moses in the book of Genesis that he frames the entire structure of that book after that repeated phrase. I found it quite significant then that as Matthew starts into his gospel, the gospel that will be the very very first book in the New Testament that he repeats that phrase, the book of the genealogy of Jesus. The word genealogy that's used here could be translated literally the book of the Genesis or the origin of Jesus Messiah. And so Matthew here declares to a Jewish audience the genesis or the origins of Jesus Messiah using the same language they would find in their first book of the law, the book of Genesis. One exceptional part of the genealogy of Jesus that's found in these verses is how uh, the description of Jesus Christ's birth differs from others. We won't take the time to read the whole way through that genealogy, but if you were reading down through there, you would see most of the genealogies read something like this. A certain man, a father, gave birth to a son or had a son. But when you come in verse 16 to Jesus, things slow, slow down and Matthew prolongs it a bit. Look at verse 16. It says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, is with this description that the book of Genesis, the genesis of Jesus Christ comes to its end. As it comes to this end, however, it creates an objection that Jewish people might make because Jewish people would often trace genealogies through the male or the father, the legal father. In other words, an observant Jewish reader would object that since Jesus, or since Joseph, is not the biological father of Jesus, the genealogy that's traced here from uh, the whole way back to Abraham and to, to David might not really apply to him. We see in Luke's gospel that the genealogy of Jesus is recorded and it's traced through Mary. Mary was of the seed of David, but a Jewish person reading this gospel might object and say, well, Jesus wasn't really the son of Joseph, so can you really claim that he follows in the line of David? And so because of that situation there, we find the text that I just read to you, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew must explain how this is, how it is not a problem for the Holy Spirit to be the Father or the Holy Spirit and the Godhead to be the ones who are instrumental in the birth of Christ, not Joseph. And so he expounds further on the genesis of Jesus Christ in verses 18 through 25. This story comes in three parts. The first part is found in verses 18 to 19. 
where Matthew describes the unusual beginnings of Jesus the Messiah. Look in your Bible, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You come to this birth narrative, this story, we're introduced to the two central characters. They are Joseph and Mary. And we learn in verses 18 and 19 that Mary was blessed by God. She was blessed in that she was betrothed, and she was also blessed in that she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. Remember, and if you were here last week, we learned all about the response of Mary. In Luke's gospel, we find that there was an angel who actually came, Gabriel, and he announced these things to Mary. And we reflected last week upon her response to this announcement. She was willing to obey despite any of the consequences that came her way. In this text, however, I find the emphasis not on Mary of these two characters, but on Joseph, on Joseph, this important figure as well. Matthew describes him in verses 18 and 19 uh, first as being a just man or a righteous man. I think this probably speaks of Joseph's commitment to obey the law of Moses in its entirety. That was his desire. That was his will or goal. And so being conscious of the law, we find out in verses 18 and 19 that Joseph decided that he needed to break off this relationship with his betrothed Mary, his engaged Mary, because to this point, he would assume that she had been unfaithful to him during the betrothal period. I mean, how else would a child be born, right? And so after this unusual start to the story, Matthew then describes a dream that comes to Joseph where he receives communication from an angel. Look in your Bible at verse 20. Verse 20. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In this dream, this angel comes to Joseph, and he requires two decisive acts. These are pictured in the verbs that are used here. He requires Joseph to respond to the situation with Mary in two ways. First, he must marry her. In verse 20, the angel requires Joseph to follow through with the marriage to Mary and then explains the divine origins of the birth of this baby. In other words, Joseph must act boldly because this is no normal pregnancy. And so the angel says, first of all, you need to take her to be your wife. And then the second bold act is one that perhaps we don't make as much out of as we should. In verse 21, secondly, he must name the boy, the child. He must name him. Here the angel requires Joseph to give the child the name Jesus. And for those of us who are not really well acquainted with Jewish tradition, I, I think we might not fully grasp the great significance of this action in verse 21 in your Bible. Look in verse 21. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. As a matter of fact, it, it hit me that one might wonder, maybe perhaps you haven't come to church, you haven't thought much about these events, or, or maybe you have come to church frequently. It, 
It might hit you as it did me. I mean, why would Joseph even be necessary in this birth narrative? I mean, if God, through the Holy Spirit, miraculously created the child Jesus through the Virgin Mary, without, the, without in any way a, a man being involved in the process, why is Joseph even necessary to the birth narrative or to the life of Jesus at all? And so it's that question I want to consider for a while here. And I think that as we ask that question, we make a few observations, we'll be able to learn more about this birth narrative and what's going on in this passage. I mean, why was Joseph even a part of this story? Well, let me make a few observations to you. First of all, in, in Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, Matthew will make much out of Joseph. Instead of being kind of a peripheral figure that, you know, is, is maybe not that important or unimportant, Matthew makes much out of him. He does so in this narrative so that when the, when the vision comes or the dream comes and uh, this angel begins to communicate to, to Joseph, the rest of the story is kind of told from his perspective or things are occurring uh, to him. Look in your Bible at verse 19, or actually verse uh, 20 in the middle of the verse when the vision starts. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. So Joseph is addressed there in that verse, but then look down in verse 24. But when Joseph woke from sleep, this emphasis that Matthew puts on Joseph doesn't end in chapter one, however, but in the early events of the life of Christ, we find out that God was often communicating to this blessed family through Joseph himself. So look down in your Bible at Matthew chapter two and verse 13. Matthew two and verse 13, it says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Go down to verse 19 to see the same sort of thing again. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who have sought the child's life are dead. Here, Matthew continues an emphasis on Joseph throughout chapters 1 and 2. As a matter of fact, Matthew records that God actually appears to Joseph on four occasions in the early years of Christ. And in Matthew's gospel here, really, there's not a lot about Mary, but there's much about Joseph from this point on in the story. And so Matthew records much about Joseph, and I think that the reason he begins to do so in chapter one is to begin to take care of the problem that a Jewish uh, person may have had with the whole genealogy of Jesus. Remember, a, a Jew would want to see how Jesus is connected to David or to Abraham through a male. So we learn that Joseph is indeed necessary to this narrative and the life of Christ in order to secure his descent from David through a male. In other words, Joseph was necessary because lineage and descent were traced through a father. So in verse 21, Matthew begins another emphasis here, and I think he he begins to do something else that uh, should be intriguing to us when in verse 21, the angel requires Joseph to do something. Look in your Bible at verse 21 again. She will bear a son, and Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. It's interesting to me, this is a, you know, although I've reflected on the birth narrative of Jesus many times, 
This is the first time I ever took note of the fact that that phrase, call his name, is repeated three times throughout this narrative. And so, as you're looking in your Bible, you just saw it in verse 21, but look in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. That's the phrase. Emmanuel. And then look with me at the very end of this narrative at verse 25. And he called his name Jesus. Three times this is repeated in the narrative because repetition was a way for the gospel writers to emphasize something important. As a matter of fact, it's got a, this phrase has a climactic place at the very end of this narrative as well. And so most English readers, sometimes they don't even see that, this phrase, you will call his name. And just like that, most English readers miss out on the true significance of that phrase and what is going on here. For when a man chose to name a child, it was a way that he would officially recognize the baby as his child. R.T. France explains it this way. He's a commentary on the gospel, or commentator on the Gospel of Matthew. He said, specific emphasis is placed on Joseph's role in naming Jesus, which was a responsibility of the legal father and which ensured the official status of the son. So in other words, what's going on here in a Jewish culture, when a man named a child, he was declaring the child to be his legal offspring. And so what many of the commentators will say is that when, Jesus, when Joseph chooses, or when, when the angel requires Joseph to call his name Jesus, this was the angel requiring him to make a decisive act and adopt Jesus as his son. Okay, and so uh, now to understand the full significance, we need to go one step further in this narrative. In order to grasp the full significance of this event and this calling his name Jesus, Notice how the angel first identifies Joseph in verse 20. How does he describe him? Joseph, son of David. Son of David. Joseph was of the direct line of King David. Now, when we hear this description of Joseph, we we might not really think much of it. But ancient Jewish nationalistic expectation brought the hope during the days of Jesus of the restoration of the Davidic kingdom through the reign of one of David's direct ancestors. In other words, they wanted a Messiah and they wanted David's Messiah, someone who would come from his offspring. So now if if Joseph names Jesus, Jesus would be adopted into the direct line of King David. Now, this is true in Luke's gospel because Jesus descends from Mary, and she's of the line of David as well, but a Jew would want to see it connected through a man. So the angel requires Joseph to adopt Jesus as his own child, and this would meet Jewish requirements to be of the seed of David. If you look down in your Bible and we continue to read in verses 22 and 23, we find that all of this came in accordance with what the scriptures in the Old Testament had said. Look in verse 22. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then uh, there's a quote from Isaiah chapter 7 here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here, Matthew takes a prophetic text in Isaiah 7, and he shows how Jesus ultimately fulfills it. The prophecy is of a virgin bearing a son and his name being called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Earlier in the text, we found out that Joseph was supposed to call this child Jesus, and that name means uh, God is salvation. Those two names are not contradictory in any way or another, and I think really what goes on with these names is the reader is invited to reflect upon the fact of the two names and how they might work together. The significance of the names together, God with us and God is salvation, is perhaps the way that God saves us is by coming to dwell with us. And so we learn in verse 21 that Jesus is going to come and he will deliver people from their sins. But then third and finally, all that is left in this story uh, happens at the end. And so look with me at verses 24 and 25. It says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. After the angel came to Joseph and required these two decisive acts, I find Joseph immediately obeying. His obedience is prompt. Matthew says, as soon as he awoke from his sleep, Joseph takes his wife, Mary, although he does not engage in normal marital relationships with her until Jesus was delivered. He takes Mary to be his wife, and he gives her baby the name Jesus. As we stated before, I think this is a very significant act for Matthew. Jesus is legally adopted into the line of David, and thus eminently qualified to be Jesus, Messiah, son of David. As we go through this story, we see how Matthew was able to go through the scriptures and make the point that Jewish objection to Jesus, Messiah, has no basis. All that's left for Jewish people to do now in reading this and reading the genesis of the book of Jesus Christ. All that's left for them to do is to accept Jesus as their Messiah. Perhaps you're here today as well, and you have your own set of objections against Jesus. You won't allow yourself to accept all this stuff about Jesus because it seems impossible to you. I mean, a virgin, a birth, a cross, a death, a resurrection. You say, prove that to me, preacher. Yet I say, you believe all sorts of things that you've never had proven to you. You somehow believe that Humanity was formed. It, you, it appeared, it evolved, or was created, yet you have no conclusive evidence 
for your belief. You've never seen it. You've never experienced it. As a matter of fact, it's just that. It is a belief. It's faith. You've chosen to believe something, although you have only been given partial, non-conclusive evidence. Well, the Bible explains the proper basis of faith. In the very first words of this book, the book of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible makes it clear that from the word of God, the way this all got started was God starting it. And just like that, in the New Testament scriptures, in the book of John, in John 3, verse 17, it says, And and God sent his Son into the world so that the world might be saved through him. You see, you must believe in Jesus Messiah, Son of God, Son of David, if you are going to be delivered from your sin. And it's our prayer if you're here today as a guest or perhaps you've come for some time and you have never believed in the name of Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. That's the whole reason he came. And the scriptures are quite clear that all of us are sinners. We need someone to rescue us. And the only rescue is the birth of this small child who came, lived, died, and rose again so that you might be freed from your sin. We reflect one last time on verse 21 in your Bible. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's our prayer that that will be true of you this Christmas. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this narrative of Jesus' birth. I thank you not only for the true events that we gather today to celebrate, but I thank you, Lord, for how you recorded this in the Scriptures. It's so amazing, Father, that you led Matthew to write it in, in such a way that would just tag on to the end of the genealogies in Genesis, the beginning of the heavens and the earth, and and the birth of Adam, and the birth of Noah, and the birth of Jacob and Isaac. All those stories in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And, and then it's amazing that you, and uh, through your wisdom, would, would lead in such a way that the very first book of the New Testament canon that we have before us would start in the same way to describe the genesis of Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus is the Son of God from everlasting to everlasting. Yet we know that at one point in time, some 2,000 years ago, he he was born as a human. We've read this morning of his human origins. And so, Father, as we reflect upon that this morning, uh, we are delighted with what we see in the Scriptures. And, Lord, we, we truly long and desire to be able to emphasize the important things that Matthew emphasizes in the Scripture. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never believed in Jesus to deliver them from their sins, we pray that you would allow them to see the importance of that decision. Might they consider or ask why Jesus would come and 
May they reflect upon the answer that Matthew gives here from this angel in a vision. For he will save his people from their sins. Lord, we thank you. We pray that uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, we might gladly, willingly point other people to this birth story as their only hope in their battle against sin. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.